Hello everybody and welcome to the Masters where there's no Masters edition of the My Love of Golf podcast and it's that time of year, we're up nice and early when we're usually expecting the Masters to be on and it's not on at the moment but the great news is that this week the guys announced the reschedule of the Masters for November this year so happy news. On the line now I've got the guys that I know that are the closest thing to Masters experts that are in my world of golf, Jamie Glazier, Mike Ferroni and the one and only Rocket who are joining us so we can all tune in and just check in with the masters that aren't on because because they're all in isolation and uh, there's not a lot else to do so they've been tuning into YouTube and to Fox and to whatever else it is to dose up on the masters. The other thing I would like to take this little moment to say is it's a tough time for us golfers especially here in Victoria but around the world there's a lot of people that uh, aren't able to do golf and there's a lot of people that aren't able to work in golf at the moment uh, right from the green keepers, your golf pros, your coaches, the hospitality staff, your golf shop operators. There's a whole load of guys and I just wanted to let everyone know that our thoughts are with you guys. We will be back golfing again very soon and when we do it'll be bigger, better and stronger than ever ever before. So hang in there during this time. We don't have the masters. We can tune into our chat we do have the Masters at the end of the year. So thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode, a special Roscoe and Rocket episode with special guests. Look forward to chatting and thanks for listening. special early good morning to our assembled masters panel doing this interview we can't obviously get together face to face which would have been great but we can't because we're all in tune with our isolation mode but on the uh, screen that i have that i'm looking at uh, via this zoom interview and i'm getting used to this new zoom technology i've got uh, rocket g'day rocket how are you he doesn't need any other introduce other than this oh, i'm good thank you roscoe i've got to play your music <laughs> how are you mate and uh mike ferroni how are you Good, thanks, Roscoe. No intro music for me? No intro music for you yet, mate. Uh, you, this is your second appearance on the podcast. Uh, you were probably episode four, uh, one of the early guys that gave me a, a leg up into uh, my interview world. So uh, thanks for joining us back, and, and you are uh, one of our master's gurus. And the other one, the mental master himself, Jamie Glazier, my partner in crime in the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Jamie, how are you, buddy? Well, thanks, Roscoe. Morning, gentlemen. How are we? Good, mate. Good. That's good. Awesome. So I guess the idea for having you know a chat was to, as we said in the intro, help us all that are out there listening, missing the Masters at the moment, come together and share some of our favourite moments, have a bit of a discussion around <coughs> the Masters that, that I think uh, at this time of the year, especially for, for all of us sitting here that you know we're used to getting up early, once the weather starts to change and it's you know getting close to Easter and a little bit cooler, we sort of get that itch for the Masters and obviously it's not, not now, so we can have a chat about it. But two of you have had some very, very special Masters experiences, which I am sure that the listeners will absolutely absolutely enjoy hearing about so we might get to that part in a little bit but i guess rocket this is the this is a roscoe and rocket episode you are you've been consuming more gigabytes of uh, masters download in the last uh, couple of weeks mate than anyone that i know how's it been for you sitting watching at home and reminiscing brooks oh hound so we're not we're not not picking any winners yet no no we will get the opportunity to do that and we will do a proper masters episode in november but no we're not picking winners uh you're obviously missing your man crush, Brooks. Uh, not not out there playing, but uh, oh, what have you been consuming? Mate? Killing what, me. What have you been watching? 
killing me. I have watched, I don't know why I do this to myself. I've watched 86, I've watched 87, I watched 91 with Woozy. That was awesome back nine. Tom Watson, couple of eagles on 13, 15. I watched 92, I love Missing Freddy. I watched 94 with uh, with Ollie. I watched 95 with Gentle Ben, another one where Shark finished third. I can't watch 96. I literally cannot. I actually, I cannot. Then I watched 97. I watched 97 last night. Uh, I watched 98 because David Duval was like how he lost that one to Marco Mira. I have no idea. Um, I watched 99. That one kills me even more because the shark putted. Oh, his front nine. Oh, oh my God. Like, I, I, I think that one hurts more than 96 because that one, if he was just half decent on the front nine, he probably would have had a one or two shot lead going into the back nine. Ends up losing by two to um to Ollie. Uh, what else have I watched? Jeez, I've watched a bit, haven't I? You've been going to work at this stage watched- at all, mate, or you've just been on the tube? <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, home in isolation. I haven't had that much time to watch that much golf. <laughs> uh, I haven't even got the two thousands yet. I've watched I've watched twenty ten three times. I love I love that one. Still twenty ten. I haven't watched twenty eleven yet. I've watched 2019, actually, I've watched 2019 to death. What else have I watched? I haven't watched 2013, no. If you had to go back to all of those old school Masters apps that you uh, watched, what's your favourite one? When you say old school? Well, pre-2000. Pre-2000, 92, Freddie. How good is he? I was the the biggest Boom Boom fan on the planet. I even even stopped wearing a glove. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I even I even had I even had um, the Lynx um, Parallax clubs. I had the bag. I didn't have the drivers then. I still had my TaylorMade Burner Burner Plus with the grain silver shaft tool spoon. I even changed my. I bought a Ping Answer because Freddie had one. But could you tell I have a bit of a man crush and I follow people? He's so cool. Uh, Faz, what, what was your uh, pre two thousands uh, favourite Masters moment? Oh, look, definitely. <clears throat> Definitely 97. I think uh, I remember, um, you know, that was when Tiger first came out. I remember that morning going around to a mate's house, picking up Maccas on the way there, going to a mate's house. And, you know, we uh, watched it from, uh, from start to finish. And, uh, you know, I think uh, if I look back, that, that first Tiger win was just amazing. And, you know, from there, we thought he was going to win every other one because he just won it by so much. The game was that good. But, yeah, 21 years of age in 97, that was uh, that was a... I guess the one I look back on, the one you know with all the replays going on at the moment, um, I do uh, look forward to that one coming up on TV. You still do the occasional Maccas run? Uh, no, nah, not so much now. Not so much now. It's uh, <laughs> oh yeah, maybe for coffee. That's about it. What about you, Jamie? Uh, yeah, definitely. Ninety-seven uh, was was huge. You know, the anticipation of of Tiger and waking up to see him was he four over par through the first nine or something, and just going. Yep. Oh no, you know, devastating. And then just seeing what he did that next nine was just, I don't think I slept for a week after that. But I think my all time favorite was, I'm not quite sure of the year, but Crenshaw's second win after um, Harvey Pennick just passed away. 95. 95. That was, for me, that was like my man crush was definitely on Freddie <coughs> back when I was younger and playing, but, but also Ben Crenshaw. He was just. It was just phenomenal the way he, he played golf, carried himself, just how cool he was. And he never seemed to lose that sort of coolness factor as he got older. So, um, 
yeah, he, he for me was my, uh, that was the, the favourite one for me, just seeing the emotion pour out of him on the 18th green and, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Also had great Golf hair. gods were not going to deny him that week. The golf no. gods were not going to deny him. And Davis Love finished second and it was, and it was um, ironic because Davis Love had been spending about five or six years prior to that with um, Harvey Pennick as well. Yeah, it was, so, it was just so cool. My earliest memories of the Masters go back to 86 when Jack won. And yep. I, I distinctly remember uh, that because it was around the time that I was, you know, obviously playing a lot of junior golf and uh, trying to be you know, as good as I could be. And I remember my dad was a big Seve and Jack fan. <laughs> he, he went to see Jack play at Gullen or something like that in an early Scottish Open or something like that many years. So he had introduced me to Jack and to Seve and whatever. But the other thing that my dad introduced me to was uh, his particular skill of copying the way that these two guys dressed. So he, he, my dad growing up had two looks. He had the all blue Slazenger jumper look or he had the uh, the beige pants and the red cardigan look. And, you know, I distinctly remember 1986 being the beige pants and the red cardigan look. So my dad used to dre- like dress like these guys, which I think at some stage uh, rubbed off on me a little bit. I think I'm, I may have been uh, wearing red flat-fronted pants that uh, someone wore at one stage of my junior career. But I remember 86. And the other thing I remember about 86, because I love Jack, um, that he was 46 at the time, if I'm not uh, wrong. Yep. And I distinctly remember going, oh, my my goodness, how can such an old guy win a golf tournament? <laughs> and and it just blew me away at the time, uh, being maybe 14 or so, that, uh, yeah, this, this uh, you know, guy that shouldn't have been playing uh, professional golf was was able to win. And how wrong was uh, that that line of thinking? But, uh, you know, that's my that's one of my early memories that, that I hold pretty clear and uh, dear to my heart. Uh, Big Jack winning that 86. It was really good. I remember the... 16th and the par three, they made the birdie there, and oh, it was fantastic. So, um, what about you know the modern era, Rocket? What are you? What's your your key thing that oh. you're taking? You know, what have you? What have you? I guess what have you noticed has changed into you know from the days gone by to you know the masters of you know the last year and the year more recent times. Oh. Equipment aside, um, I think every every year it's just more and more people, um, whether they're at the tournament or they're watching it, they treat the Masters and Masters Week. Um, you know, it's almost like it's it's like our place of worship, um, and the Masters do a great job of putting on so much content for that whole week to make sure that. You know, people are being included. You know, the things that they've done in terms of the um, the women's amateur that's played there now, the drive, chip and putt. Well, there's a little bit of crazy parent syndrome that occurs with that. Um, you know, the the how they do their app in terms of that, and just the content they put out there. They just do a really good job of just capturing capturing an audience, and it doesn't. They don't have to be hard golf nuts there are a lot of people that just will be watching this for the only reason it's the masters and they probably won't watch any other golf for the rest of the year um that's the biggest thing that's changed i think they've embraced the digital age better than anyone uh yeah yeah exactly 
yeah, that makes a big difference. I was watching 97 the other day and you know, seeing the two slivers down either side because it was only the old four for three. Um, there's that. And then, you know, you think about a 20 years period. Um, still my two favourite, right? 2010, the, the Mickelson story of 2010, I'll talk about that forever. The shot he hit on 13, hearing the bone story about how he talks about what Mickelson said to him standing over that shot on 13. That's that's still my favourite because everyone knows I'm a, I'm a sucker for lefty. I love so, a bit of lefty. So what was that? Um, so what was that story? What what did Bones say to Phil on that shot on 13? Um, so he's saying he goes, you've got you got I think you got two ten, two ten to the flag. You got one ninety nine to cover it, so cover the creek. Um, or it might have been a bit less than that, and. He said, you know, we're leading by, I can't remember if we were leading by one or two. Might have been one or two. And he said, you know, we can we can just knock it up there. Your wedge game is hot. You know, we know what your wedge game is. We can probably still make birdie from knocking it up there. And Phil turned to him and he said, you know, there's a, there's a point in the tournament where I know I'm going to have to hit a shot, a great shot to win the tournament. And he said, this... Um, and now is that time. And he so grabs, went to grab a five iron, felt a bit of wind, grabbed a six. And he just reiterated to him again about, you know, where their lead was, um, you know, the yardages and stuff like that. And he goes, nah, now is the time to hit that shot. And then he just bones went into, um, into support mode for that shot to make sure that, you know, he's in the right frame of mind and just, and he said, you know, then he just hit it, hit one of the greatest shots you'll ever see. Um, so uh, I think it was Bones interview, episode 143 on No Laying Up podcast, three masters like a couple of years ago. It's fascinating listening, fascinating. It's, yeah, it's really good. Now, yeah, I-, I love that one. And then the, the backstory, you know, he, you know, um, his wife had breast cancer. He hadn't played for the tournaments prior. His mum had breast cancer. Um, and Jim Nance's, you know, iconic call, you know, win for the family, right? It's awesome. So what are we, can I just, what are we going to do when Jim Nance calls it the end of time? When, when he's no longer, like, that, that intro music and Jim Nance, they've got to be the two most iconic things in, in sport for me. He's he's quite synonymous with it now. You know, I was looking when I was watching the '86 one. I think that was, was it, no, it wasn't '86. His first year being the the main man was '89, I think it was, because he was on 16 Tower on in '86. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's <laughs> great so storyteller. Good. So, oh, I, I don't know. They're going to have to think. They're going to think of something, but I don't think they're worried about that for the next fifteen years. I don't think. Well, let's hope. Let's hope so. But us golfers know him as, as the golf broadcaster. But Rocket, you know, you, you can give us a, a bit of a rundown on some of his other work that he does. Oh yeah, so NCAA. So he does. So he's he's um 
I'm trying to think. I've, I've listened to an interview with him once before as well. I'm trying to remember that one. Um, so his his February, March, and April is actually no. Digress. His December, January, February, March, and April is quite full on. So he's doing obviously CBS with um, Tony Romo um, for uh, Sunday night football. So NFL season. Those two are just a fantastic pair. Like, they're just great to listen to. And then he pivots into um, college basketball. So CBS have the, um, the rights for the Final Four. So he's doing the NCAA tournament. And then they roll into Masters Week. And then they have a run of about six or seven tournaments in a row where CBS are the primary broadcaster. Um, yeah, he's, it doesn't matter. Oh, I remember the, I still remember the 93 NCAAs, which was um, North Cal versus uh, Michigan, the timeout game. Um, and, you know, his commentary during that, you, you forget that he's the Masters dude. Yeah, he's good. He's good. And he, was a, and he was a college roommate of Freddie's as well. Yeah, he's a dude. And Freddie's coach. Just back on that film. Not that I know anything about Freddie. <laughs> just on the Phil story, you know, someone I heard say that Augusta is a great course for people who are prepared to take a risk. And you, know, you two guys to the blow of the screen, Faz and Jamie, you've both been there and seen it in different um, versions. You know, Freddie, uh, not Freddie, sorry, Phil, I guess you could say that he, he could be classified as the ultimate gambler and risk taker. Uh, on every sense, and, and that was his moment. Uh, you know, Jamie and Mike, do you do you think that it is a course that suits you know that more risk um, risk prone? Not risk prone. Uh, what the word I'm looking for? But the, the the golfer that's prepared to take a risk. Oh, most definitely. And you know, when you get to the second nine, I think yeah, you, know, you look at holes like par three twelve. No, going for that pin last day, massive risk. Um, after that, you get to the par threes, you've got to make a decision. Sorry, the par fives, you've got to make a decision on 13, on 15. Um, you know, put yourself in position, obviously, off the tee, but then make that decision of going for the, going for those greens, going for those pins. Um, and that's risky. You've seen, we've seen over and over and over how people hit, you know, hit it short in the water, um, drift it right in the water on 13. Um, hit it long on 15 or short on 15. So, yeah, those guys are prepared to go for it and pull it off, absolutely, especially on that second nine, I think. So, Mike, you know, as the uh, professional golfer on the panel, talking about 13 par three, yeah? So think uh, about 12 par three. 12, 12, sorry, 12 par three. Talk us through what your thoughts were on Tiger's win last year and where a lot of the guys around, you know, that was a hole that they came unstuck. What was your perspective on that as a pro? Yeah, so I think, um, so was it Molinari playing with Tiger? Mm-hmm. Hit before him, hit it in the yep. water. Brooks before yep. him, um, Rocket hit in the water. Yeah, and where Tiger oh, hit it? Yeah, and where Tiger hit it? About 45 feet left of the hole. You know, lagged it up, lagged it up to five foot. And that was a big putt, that five footer, rolled that in. And suddenly that's, you know, that's where, well, that was the downfall of Molinari for a while. Um, but that's where, you know, it really turned. And, uh, you know, whether it was experience from him, inexperience from the other guys of that course playing at that right pin, 
whether it's deliberate or accidental. Um, a lot of times they say if you get it close, it's an accident. But uh, you saw Tiger just, I think he hit a 9-iron, hold off 9-iron, straight over the left edge of the bunker, and uh, as safe as house, that one was. I heard Tiger talk about, I've actually heard Tiger talk about this one where they were asking him about, you know, the people hitting the water and where he was on 11, he saw Brooks hit. And this is, this is the freak of the man, right? He got, he saw him hit it in the water and he's, and then he, when he got down there and so he assumed what yardage and what club he would have been hitting. And he goes, um, there must have been a bit of wind up there in a certain couple of pockets. He said, cause Brooks has a more penetrating ball flight than me. So he, yep. he like he studied the dude's ball flight, and he's sort of calculating that with everything else. Like, you know, I've got to get him in before I leave in a minute. But you know, the fraudulent physicist thinks he can actually sort of you know math his way around the course, but he's got nothing on Tiger. So, uh, for you guys, uh, Jamie and Mike, uh, the fraudulent physicist physicist uh, is one of hashtag Rocket names um, names for Bryson DeChambeau. So, um, you know, just just to bring into, into the loop that if Rocket that was an easy that was an easy one yeah no, that was no, an easy one to uh, to guess because <laughs> I have seen a few of Rocket's tweets and uh, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say you're far from the mark. Last week, terminal velocity, like it was <laughs> was it last it was last year, terminal velocity, <laughs> wanker. Oh, <laughs> so, um, the three of us are sitting here and. As is tradition at this time, we've all donned our Masters caps. Rocket, you as the incumbent winner of the rollback uh, tournament, you've got your rollback cap on. You don't have a Masters yeah, cap. The southerly buster champion. Yes. Uh, with, uh, two of us, our man Luke. Two of us on the panel here have been to the Masters and two of us haven't. I've got a Masters hat because uh, Andy Marr actually uh, brought it back for me. He, he was kind enough to bring something back after going and, uh, you know, give me a ball marker and a hat. That was really kind of him. Um, Yeah, Mike, you're smiling because you know where this is going. I know where this is heading, yeah. <laughs> I, I've not been to the Masters. And what year did you go, Mike? So, uh, uh, 2011. Two th- 2011. Um, I've only ever had one opportunity to go to the Masters, and unfortunately, uh, at the time, it never came to fruition. And uh, at the time, I was working for uh, one of the big car brands that uh, sponsor a lot of golf, Mercedes-Benz, and they had a customer event every year at the Masters, and I believe still do, where they have a house on site. And if you're a customer and you want to pay for the um, experience to go and stay in that house and then have full access to every day of the Masters, including practice, including par three, you're able to go. Now, at the time, I had purchased uh, for my wife the cheapest, smallest Mercedes-Benz you could buy, the A140, just it's like a Toyota Corolla. And uh, this popped up under my radar at work and... Someone said, well, we're trying to find some Australian customers that want to take this opportunity up. And I said, well, I'm a customer, surely, uh, even though I'm a staff member. Do you think I can go? Oh, hold on, Ross, we'll check. Uh, Yeah, if you want to pay the money and go, you can go. Great. Two tickets. Yeah, absolutely. So the first call was to you, Mike Ferroni. The first call was to you. Hey, Faz, here's this opportunity. Do you want to go? Let me check. I'm in. I I checked with uh, Mrs. My Love of Golf, Alex. Love you, D. How are you? Um, yep. No, off you go. Have fun. About an hour later, Faz rings back. Nah. We'll go another time. I can't go this year, but we'll go another time. All right, Mike. That's great. Yeah. I'd rather go with you because, uh, 
you know, it's good to do these things in pairs and, and uh, you know, I'd love to see that course with you. And I've not been. But, Mike, what happened? <laughs> I can't remember the reason why I couldn't go 2010. Obviously wiped that from my memory. Um, but the, the opportunity to go in 2011 obviously came up. And, uh, you know, well, dumped, yeah. <laughs> very, very much dumped big time. And uh, just before we keep going with this story, Rocket, thanks, mate. You've got to go. You've got to... Um... I've got to go. What, one little shout-out. It's a really nice day out there. So one of our listeners, Keely, mm-hmm. clean your dad's pool. <laughs> Come on, clean the pool. Clean the pool. Well, Keely, Keely Marks is connected. All right, All right guys. Get See you, Rocket. See you, Rocket. See you, Rocket. Keely is connected to uh, the three of us on this panel, Jamie, myself, and to Rocket. Uh, Rocket... Um, uh, Keely gives Rocket a hard time for talking about grass and Keely at the moment is in isolation at home practising because he's one of Australia's young elite amateur uh, young uh, lady golfers and she's tearing shreds out of her dad's uh, vast back lawn up there. But uh, anyway, Keely, uh, Keely uh, we know you will listen and hello to you. Um, but anyway, back to back to me not going to the Masters, uh, Faz, and, and you actually going after... You know, with I thought we were doing it as a team. How did you get there again? Who who sorted all that out for you, mate? What what contact? Right, so Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Not Mercedes. No. The no. story begins. I remember. Um, I got a call in about about late October from a mate of mine, Sean Sean Baker, and uh, it was Mike. I was in the car. I remember driving back from a tournament. And he said, "Um, I can get tickets to the Masters." I said, "You kidding me?" He goes, "Yeah, I can get Ogilvy's going to set us up with three season passes." I said. How much is that? He goes, nothing. They're free. I went, oh my, okay, I'm in, I'm in. So uh, it was probably six months out that I knew I was going. Um, and yeah, we we planned a, a whole three week trip around that specifically, and it was a great trip you know, with everything else involved in general. But uh, you know, to know that you're about to tick off the biggest golf bucket list item you have, you know, I was excited for months. And, um, you know, I stayed in South Carolina when, um, when I was there. And, um, so we had a drive down of about, a drive about an hour 20 every day down to the course. And the first day, especially as you drive, you know, you, you get closer and closer, um, you start to see signs, Augusta. You know, and then next one, you're a little closer, another sign, Augusta this way. And, and your excitement levels just, just build. And, um. So we get there, we drive around, it's pretty busy, find a car park. You go through the front gate and, you know, you, you just can't believe you're there. You're pinching yourself. You can't believe you're there. You know, it's, um, you've watched it for, for years and years and years. And suddenly you're actually, you're actually there. And it was, and that week too, I'm not sure what it was like for you, Jamie, but that week for me, the weather was, you know, what it is today. It was 22 degrees, 25 degrees was perfect. The whole week it was, you know, only weather could really spoil this experience. Um, but you get there, you go through like, oh, just like airport security when you're there. You can't take your phone. On a Wednesday, you can take camera. So um, being the practice round and par three day, so I took my camera there. You walk in and the entrance I walked in, I don't know if it's the back sort of entrance, uh, the opposite to um, where Magnolia Lane is. Um, you walk up uh, along the right side, alongside the practice fairway. And, you know, the first impression was, gee, this place is massive. You could fit, feels like you could fit two courses on this on this block of land. I've had a bit of an aer- a look at the aerial shot. So you probably fit another nine the way it looks. So <clears throat> I end up at the back of the practice fairway with my mates there and we're standing there and we are just like little kids, just giggling. You know, you're pinching yourself. You just can't believe you're, 
you're actually there. We um. So you said there was so three. We, you said there were three tickets. Uh, you know, so there's you, Sean, <laughs> and not one for another me. Mate, Obviously, another mate. Well, what you've got to remember is I got invited to this one. Okay. To hang with All right. Guys. All right. So if I had the three tickets given to me, then you know, Jamie's there, you're there. We're uh, pinching ourselves. 2011 on the uh, back of the practice fairway there. It's usually it's usually Jamie getting a hard time on uh, these podcasts and uh, things that we do. But I'm uh, quite it's enjoying good, this. Yeah, yes, it's good, it's good to see that some. Yeah, I'm quite enjoying this. Wait till, wait till he mentions the hats. I think I, I bought two. I, I think I bought a dozen hats, and I don't think he seemed to have got one. So I, I'm I'm still <laughs> copying it for that. No, but I've got my master's hat, and uh, thanks to Andy Ma yeah. from the Inside the Ropes podcast, who was uh, kind enough to go there and uh, send me a message while he was there, saying, "Hey, mate." You, would you like anything brought back for you? And mate, I said no. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm a, I had to be nice. Okay, here it is. I've got it on, Matt. My. <laughs> hey, Jamie. So your experience at the Masters was a vastly different experience, and for a different reason to go there as a patron. You were actually there working, working as a caddy, working as a coach with Bryden. That must have been. I can't even put that in my mind. What that experience must have been like. So. You know, for the benefit of uh, all of the people tuning in, how did that go for you, mate? Yeah, so, yeah, 10, 10 11 years in the making, uh, 2000 and 2001, I'd been invited to go to the tournament with Aaron Badley. Uh, I was a good mate of Bads back in the day, and uh, he got his first two invites back then. So I couldn't go because I just had back surgery. And uh, so, yeah, there was a, a, a bit of pain that had been sort of sitting there with me for, for a number of years. And then working with Bryden for, I think, five, four or five years, five or six years at that stage when he won the British Amateur. And, yeah, I, uh, I got invited to uh, caddy for him that year. And it was, for me, luckily, it was... <clears throat> We got to play a couple of practice rounds the week or two prior. So we played with Bads, went to Augusta a bit earlier, played a couple of practice rounds. And as a guest of Bryden's, I was able to dine in the clubhouse and, and able to actually spend some time inside the, uh, the, the clubhouse itself, where as a caddy, you're basically only allowed into the caddy shack uh, and onto the facilities to to caddy, but you're not allowed inside the pro shop or you're not allowed inside the clubhouse as a caddy. So I was really lucky that I actually got there a, a little bit earlier and spent a bit of time as a guest and, and got to experience the, the whole thing. But, um, I mean, I don't even have words to explain what that week was like. And as Faz said, the, the just the sheer size of the property, the cabins that line the, the driving range, it's just one phenomenal property. Did you get to stay on site or was that just Brighton or were you both there together? Uh, so, no, we didn't get to stay on site. We probably could have stayed on site the weeks prior uh, in the practice rounds, but we didn't. But Brighton could stay in the uh, um, the the nest as, a, as an amateur, but he chose not to, um, which I'm not sure if it's something he now looks back and possibly regrets, but... Uh, it was just more of a preparation thing that he chose to stay in the house where we were all staying as a team. And uh, um, but no, unfortunately, we didn't stay on site. So what was it like when you when you rock up and they hand over the pristine white caddy overalls? Is there a fitting? Like, do they have a fitting process? Do they go, oh, Mister Mister Glazier, you know, what size are you? Or do they just go, here's your overalls, buddy? Because they they don't look like you get the fitted or the tailored option. It's just like the uh, the hard jacket king G option. One size fits most. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's an option that if they're too big, you can roll them up and make them even heavier and even hotter than what they are already. So really no fitting, just go in, there you go. You, you, get, your allotted, uh, you get your allotted caps for the week. Well, as I said, I, I only got two. I'm sure if I was Jordan Speed's caddy or Tiger Woods' caddy, I've got open slather to how many I want. But uh, but yeah, it was. and the caddy shack itself is, is pretty cool. You've got all the caddies there. Now, obviously me being a mental performance coach, caddying, now I know that caddies, when you're in the caddy shack, if, if, if you're not known to be a caddy, then you're not sitting at a table having an open discussion back then with caddies about, you know, um, about anything. They're, they're, they're quite, they've got a quite little group going. Um, and, you know, nowadays, they're, they're, I think they're quite a bit different nowadays than what they were back then. But, um, yeah, I, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was invited into the, to the caddy group, so to speak, but, but rightly so. Um, you know, being on the bag of an amateur and um, not really knowing any of the caddies at all. So, uh, but to say that I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the week and uh, and uh, yeah, it was was just phenomenal. So we did have a couple of questions, and I think you might have alluded to it there before. But uh, one of the questions from one of the listeners was from yourself, Mike. Uh, what did you wear underneath the uh, overalls? Not to be flippant about that, but what did you wear underneath the overalls, Jamie? Well. Um, Day one, it was wet, rainy, hot, so it was very humid, and uh, I, I just wore shorts and a shirt, uh, like golf shorts and a golf shirt. And then as the week, as the week went on, I think I started to try and reduce the number of items I was wearing as I as much as I could because it was just so humid from the rain that they had earlier in the week. Um, Bryden was lovely enough, whether that was by direction from me um, or just his kindness in his heart, to go from a staff bag to a carry bag that week uh, because it, the hills are phenomenal. That's all I can say. And you're carrying a staff bag around these hills as someone that doesn't carry very often who has chicken legs. And <laughs> it was hard work to say the least. So, uh, um, I tried to lighten the load in every facet uh, that I could that week. That was that was also one of the other questions. Is there, or have you seen a hillier course uh, in Australia that, or is there a course that you have seen in Australia that you know someone might be able to align with the undulations and the rise and fall of the uh, terrain? And the other question was, is it as hilly as it appears on TV? You go first. Yeah, yeah, well, <clears throat> I guess when you go there, you know, but before you go, you do hear, you know, from people's other experience about how hilly the course is. Um, and, and so when I went, I, I kind of, I wasn't surprised by it. I expected it. Um, but yeah, it is, especially that, again, going back to the second nine, I keep calling it the second nine. You know, I call it the back nine, Jamie, I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you go back to the second nine, or even actually even from the ninth hole, ninth hole down, it's amazing how much that goes down and then back up um, towards the green. Then you get down to you play 10, got to hit that draw off the tee and, you know, it's down that hill and they, the players, you know, they get the right line, they take advantage of the run. So there's plenty of undulation going on down there towards uh, down the 10th fairway. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't so surprised because I kind of expected it, um, you know, from the chat beforehand. It's I've never played Brookwater. They tell me um, Brookwater's the Augusta of Australia, I think, is that? That might be the one. Yep, yep. 
But I tell you which course reminds me a little bit of, and that's um, especially again the back nine or second nine at Riversdale. Um, it's got a fair bit of undulation, and, and, and I know when I play there, it kind of I don't know if anyone's ever referred to it as reminding them of Augusta, but that, that gives me a bit of an Augusta feel, um, especially as we play, you know, go down 13 at Riverside, 14, 15, you know, uh, as it works down those undulations of that, that golf course. Jamie, you got any thoughts on uh, any courses that you've seen or experienced in Australia that might, you know, give someone a, a bit of a linking to how the rise and fall happens? Look, I think for, for me, the first one that comes to mind is the uh, is the old Croydon Golf Club, which was my uh, my the first golf club that I ever joined and that's where I met Bads. Bads was a, a, a member there and we spent a lot of time around Croydon um, or he spent a lot of time around Croydon in preparation for the Masters. So that's the only course for me that really stands out as having as much rise and fall. Um, unfortunately, that's not there anymore, but uh, yeah, that was that was the one that first comes to mind, maybe because of the relationship with Bads and, and us being members there. Mike, just your thoughts, and Jamie, obviously, you know, you can contribute from your um, perspective with working with um, uh, Bryden there, but with the hills, it, it te- seems to favour someone who hits a fade, you know, because the right to left uh, nature is, is that, oh, that's uh, Faz just dropped out, Jamie, so it's you and I at the moment. Um, what do you think, uh, does, it, does it suit uh, a fader much more than a drawer, and, and did you see any... Uh, see that happening did you see anyone come unstuck because they just couldn't get out of that draw and make that uh, ball go from left to right yeah look i'm not sure actually i'm trying to think back now i mean it's it's quite a right to left just trying to play the holes out it's quite a right to left type of a golf course Mm. off off the tee but um yeah i mean that a fader of the ball obviously can stop the ball a lot quicker than a drawer of the ball can. So I think, you know, there's an element of that. But but these days with with the length of the game, you don't need that extra length around around Augusta. You know, I know it's been lengthened, but the, the way that the players hit the ball these days, they can they can hit fades and say take 30, 20 or 30 yards off their um off their their, their shots, but still be, you know, be long enough to um to be able to really compete around there. So um yeah, I think that uh, I think there are other facets of of players' games that are more valuable than just being able to hit one shape. And from a player's perspective, you know, working with Bryden when he was there, what were some of the things that he went through as a player? You know, was there anything there that you sort of picked up that, you know, how did he experience uh, being at Augusta for playing the first time? It wasn't the first time he played there because I think he might, might have got a practice round opportunity beforehand. But um, yeah, what was it like for him playing? Well, it's it was a... Obviously, once the course, it was so wet that year that once the course got so wet and he wasn't the longest hitter of the ball back then, so that put a little bit of a little bit more stress on his sort of mid to long irons because he was having to hit a lot more of those in. So we're going in there preparing what, you know, for, for one setup of the golf course and fine-tuning one aspect or a couple of aspects of his game and then we get there and the, the Sunday, Monday, it's so wet, all of a sudden everything that we've been working on now is not relevant because he's not going to be hitting a huge amount of short irons in, you know, he's going to be hitting more seven irons, six irons, eight irons, sort of that type of a, a range or five irons even. So we sort of, you know, had to go into that mode of, okay, now we've got to change and adapt our game plan a little bit. But he he was a great part of the golf ball. So that was always going to be something that was that was going to be on his side. 
you know, got a really good solid short game and and drives the ball, you know, pretty straight. So we just had to adapt and, and make sure that his strengths were his strengths that week to give himself the best possible chance to, to compete. Would you go back and caddy again? No. No? No. Just go and coach. We're hoping hoping to get you there with one of your uh, tribe of young stars. Yeah, look, it was a it was it compromised it probably compromised my little bit of my work that week in some form. But obviously, being on the bag, it also helped my work that week because I I could have a greater impact in the moment than what I would have had on the sidelines. But I think for me and him being an amateur, it's a bit different to him being a pro. Like I would I would <coughs> never caddy for a pro there because a professional caddy is so damn valuable those guys are i mean just phenomenal at what they do and me being on the bag anytime i caddy for someone i'm an i'm an imposter in that world so yeah i wouldn't uh i wouldn't caddy again yeah i just think i'm costing my players shots out there uh, even though i feel like i might be saving them a shot or two here or there from a mental game point of view but I'm costing them shots if they don't have a, a professional caddy on their bag. Hey, Mike, you've joined us back up there. Um, as an event, what were some of the things that stood out to you as an event? We got a few questions uh, like what's the best food there? So the, the food and the things around the Masters get talked about a lot by the people who have been. You know, the, the merchandise stand and I've heard stories of mates of mine being in the queue at the merchandise stand and being, <laughs> being behind people that were spending like fives and tens of thousands of dollars on merchandise. The, the perception is the, f- the food is cheap. I think that's counted by it's expensive to get there and, and to get in, but people t- want to talk about the sandwiches and the and the ice cream and that sort of thing. And that was one of the questions, you know, what's the best food? What's the some of the things around the outside, not just withstanding the players in the course um, that you noticed that you picked up on that was quirky or different or you liked or you didn't like? Well, just a couple of things. Just firstly, with the merchandise, um, you know, um, stands or pro shops, or they're, they're pretty big. They're, they're massive. And obviously they you feel feed a lot of people through them. But I think when you're there, and I was one of these people, you do spend up a bit because you don't really know when you're going to come back or if you're, if you're ever going to get back there. So, you know, first day, I, uh, towards the afternoon after I, I watched a bit of golf, I went, I went into the merchandise stand and, you know, bought 15 shirts and 12 golf caps and, you know, other little, little bits and pieces and, and really loaded up. The only problem then, I, I still had three weeks to go on my trip, so I had to carry that around with me for three weeks. That's the only issue. We did, we did go, there's, there is a, uh, a UPS delivery service, but it was about $450 to send everything back home. So I kind of thought, oh, I might just uh, put this in my travel cover and carry it around with me. So knowing, as I said, knowing that you may not get back there or not knowing when you're going to get back there, you've got to, you've got to spend some money there and um, make sure I save some before I got there knowing that was going to happen. The food food and beverage stands, so concession stands they call them, there's actually about, oh, Jamie, I remember, I think there's, there's about three scattered around the course and, and they're in positions that you wouldn't know that they were there. In fact, if you, so behind the 12th tee, for example, there's um, obviously the tee, there's a roped off area for chairs, a grandstand. And just behind that is a massive food and beverage area, um, a big setup, a big hut. And, um, but you never see that on TV. They're so strategically placed that you don't actually see any of them. And they are big. They're a, yeah. they're, um, a good size, a good 40 by 20 metres in, in size. Um, the, the winner for me food-wise that week, I, I reckon, was the, uh, was, I think it was like a classic chicken sandwich. Um, I did sample a, few of the, a bit of the other stuff, but I kept going back to that. You know, it's so cheap. It was so. It was a good size. It was. It was really nice. And um, you know, that was probably four of those a day. I reckon. I reckon it's. Uh, and uh, I'm not a drinker, so I wasn't having any beers. But uh, 
every time you every time you buy a, a Coke or a Pepsi, I'm not sure which one they had there, you get a, a, a Masters Cup. So I reckon I brought um, I reckon I brought about fifteen of those back home. Um, how, you, did you pick up any of those, Jamie? You would have got some of those. Yeah, I've got plenty of uh, I've got plenty of cups. There it is. Yeah, I've got plenty yeah. of cups, and uh, I think the the great thing for me was like when you go to these. You're at one of the biggest sporting events in the world, the most prestigious, most untouchable sporting events in the world, and you expect to pay $18 for a hot dog. Like, mm-hmm. yep. And you go there and everything's $1.50. Exactly. exactly. Like every, there's nothing, I think I looked at last year's one, $5 was the most expensive item on the list and that was a beer, an imported beer. So <laughs> merchandise tents, caps, they're not $50, US you know, no. they're, they're twenty four or something, Faz, or nineteen, or yeah, like sixteen to eighteen dollars. Uh, you know, it was. Um, and look, when I was there in two thousand eleven, the dollar was a dollar five Australian yeah. dollar. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was making money. Yeah. Um, uh, now, not so much if you go there, but yeah. uh, it was a good time. And as I said, you're just there, knowing, soaking it all up, knowing maybe I just may not get back. Yeah. So let's uh, let's make the most of this and. And uh, I remember I got to the counter and my credit card wouldn't work. I'm like, oh, no, I reckon I probably had about $1,200 worth of stuff on me. And uh, so I quickly had to borrow some cash and pay in cash and then ring home, rang Julie, said, uh, can you check out my credit card? It just didn't work on that day. I don't know what the story was. But, um, yeah, I, I, I panicked a bit because I had loaded up and suddenly thought, I can't pay for this now. What's going on? Yeah. Mate, uh, we, you know, we know you're good for it. And, you know, you did say you bought 12 hats. And uh, yeah. I'd, just, I'd just like to thank Andy Marr again for bringing my hat back. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, uh, I, I, won't, I won't make that same mistake again, Roscoe. I had, le- I had left None Morn- of us will. I had left Mornington <laughs> Golf Club at that stage, so I know how that I might have been on the edge of, of the periphery of your thoughts. But, um, you know, we are, members, we are members now down at Peninsula Kingswood, and I do know the bloke that uh, helped. Yeah, sign you into there, but anyway, yeah, but thanks, Andy Marr, again for the hat. Um, <laughs> Jamie, another one of the questions from uh, Ben over in uh, South Australia, and he's a great fan of the podcast. Was if they didn't play the Masters at Augusta, what would be the next choice of course? And I think you had the answer. Yeah, look, there's a, a course in Georgia called Peach Tree, and it's uh, a Bobby Jones uh, design. Uh, we got to, I was lucky enough to get to play it with Bryden uh, in the lead up to to the Masters. And it's just one of the most exclusive properties in, in the world. And you go in there and you sit in the clubhouse, there's a, a letter uh, in a frame from Bobby Jones saying that he built Peachtree to make up for the mistakes he made at Augusta National. So it was a letter to the members saying why he built Peachtree. And then I believe whether it's still the case today or, or it was back then, uh, the backup course for the Masters, if anything, did happen to Augusta National and, uh, and, and it couldn't be played there. And, yeah, Peachtree, uh, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal place. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. There's another one nearby as well. I don't know if you went there, Jamie, Sage Valley? Yeah, I don't. Um, I, have, I haven't been there, but I, I do hear that's phenomenal. So I, I went to Sage Valley. We met the owner's son, uh, yeah. had, bre- had breakfast with him, and, th- and that is it's nearly as exclusive as, as Augusta, Sage Valley. Yeah. I think, now I don't know if I got this right, the story goes, the guy who built Stage Valley owns Walmart, I think, and um, he tried to become a member at Augusta and got knocked back or they wouldn't let him in for some reason or another. Um, you may have heard this story. So he decided to build his own Augusta nearby and he, so Stage Valley's not too far by and if you go there, you know, it, it's it's very Augusta-like, 
All, all the caddies are wearing white overalls. It's a pretty special place. I got to tour around in a cart. I didn't get to play it, but uh, you'd be happy being a member there. But um, that's probably another one. I don't know if they'd use it as a backup because he's probably a bit grumpy because he didn't get a membership there. <laughs> but uh, that was another one that's uh, nearby that's, again, a phenomenal golf course. Jamie, back to you. At the Masters when you were caddying and with Bryden and playing, who did you play with? I, I can't remember, but uh, who did you get to, to meet and uh, you know chew the fat with? Well, we had a practice round with Matt Kuchar and Gary Woodland, which was fantastic. Even back then, Gary Woodland was just one of the coolest dudes. And we, first two rounds, Bryden missed the cut by a couple of shots, but we played with Robert Carlson and I nearly passed out because we played with Ben Crenshaw as well. And that was <laughs> like... To this day, he's still the coolest dude I've ever met in my life. And to walk the fairways with him wow. and Carl, his caddy, who was still caddying for him, was just so special and something I'll never, ever forget. Wow. Was Ben still rolling the rock as uh, pure as he was back in the day? Is he, he was still using, he's, still, he's always used that uh, like Wilson 8802 type blade. Yep, yep. Was he still using that bad boy then? He was, wasn't he? So two of the stories from that week that, that will go to my grave, one of them was the trying to just think of the hole now, make sure the fifth hole, pin his back left, he's hit it, he's hit it sort of short right on that green and that green's a big green, couple of undulations in the middle and Bryden's probably 15 feet or so inside Ben and Ben's sort of walking the green and he walks past me and he looks at me and goes, watch this. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, watch what, mate? You're 150 feet away from the pin You've got 14 camels you've got to putt over. What am I watching? I'm watching you putt in the back bunker. Like I was just like, are you crazy? Anyway, so he just gets over it and flicks it with his wrists as he did back then and still does. Um, this putt just, just goes up over the ridges, 15 feet right of the pin one second, 15 feet left of the pin another second, and then it comes back and he lips it out. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? Mark, you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah. So when I was there in, in 2011, um, I'm on the 16th. Um, I've set up my master's chair on the right side. I think it was the second round. And Ben Crenshaw is playing. Knocks it on the green. Um, the pin traditionally is – the pin was right side, of the, right side of the green and he's left near the water. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is, you know, the greatest putter ever. I get to watch the greatest putter ever at Augusta. This is going to be fantastic. And he may have four-putted it. And <laughs> – it was such a letdown because, you know, to me, this is this is a guy that's, uh, as Jamie said, such a cool guy in golf, and you know, we always looked up to him because he used the, the, the blade, and and I used a blade back in the day as well, and yeah, he, he cruised up and four putted. I went, oh, that was a letdown. Just proves he was he's he's human just like every one of us. So, uh, but yeah. um, there you go, Ben Crenshaw. Good hair, good hair for Ben Crenshaw. Uh, something that you and I. Uh, all three of us all fall short on, but uh, great. he had he had the long locks that that year as well, like quite oh, long, yeah. and he had his family walking with him, and his wife was like, um, uh, she must have been sixty something, but she looked like she was straight out of a Sports Illustrated magazine, and just the whole family, you know, were, were just so cool. And but he had the first day he had some driver issues. He hit these low hooks, and when it was wet and hilly, he was hitting a lot of three woods in. And anyway, he gets to the um, to the second day and changes driver and he starts, you know, 13 degree driver, he starts getting in the air to get, to get some more loft and uh, played really, really good the second day. And, but just such a, 
an utter gentleman and uh, just such a master of the short game. It was it was just it was cool to watch. Very good. Well, that was a great experience for you as a, a real life caddy. And I just do need to give a little bit of a shout out to my friends over at the another podcast, uh, friends of this podcast, and I'm a friend of theirs at the. The podcast is actually called The Real Life Caddy. Two guys over in the States, Big G and uh, and Wee Neil, they, they've done their own Masters episode and it's a little bit of a different ta- tact to ours, but it's really worth a listen. If you jump over there, they answer a whole heap of questions and they're funny, two funny guys, a Scotsman and an American, who uh, have some great stories. But one of the interviews that they did, which is definitely worth a lesson, uh, a listen, sorry, if you go to the end of nothing else, is they interviewed the guy called Clay Baker, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but Clay Baker got arrested for taking a cup of sand. Now, I won't spoil the story, so you really should go and listen to it, but uh, they, they tracked Clay Baker down and they interviewed him and Clay Baker tells this story about he was essentially thought he was going to die uh, and that's the re- there's a reason why he, he walked up and grabbed a, a cup of sand and took that and he tells the story of what happened to him after that and uh, it's worth, worth a listen. So that's over on the Real Life Caddy podcast and we've had our real life caddy here jamie glazier telling us his real life caddy story so there's a little link into that guys i'm I'm not sure if there's anything else that we need to to cover off we've been chatting for an hour we could probably talk for two or three hours on masters mike have you got anything anything else you want to sign off with mate touch on one of the questions on instagram uh, last night was about best place to spectate from oh yes oh so I obviously spectated. But uh, again, last day when I was there, got there with my mates and said, look, you know, we'd spend a, a fair bit of time together. So I'm going to go on my own. No problem. So I, I went, I um, walked a little bit of the front nine quite quickly and then went to the went to the second nine while they followed Tiger, who went on to shoot 31 that nine. I probably made a mistake not doing that, but uh, I heard all the roars as I was going around. But um, for me, I, I sat behind the 12th tee, the par three. Again, you know, the hole we just, you know, so intimately watching over the years. Um, and that was a, a great spot at that time of the tournament to sit. I, I watched everyone come through. I watched Tiger come through. Rory had been leading at this stage. Um, it was the year that Rory collapsed when he went triple bogey double on 10, 11, 12. But I watched Tiger come through. Um, and once he did, he three-putted for bogey. I went around to the other side, to the 16th. And that spot was the best spot. Um, the 16th green. If, if you know that the camera view you always get when you're watching the 16th from the back of the green, I was I was in under the camera guy there um, in that spot. Felt like I could jump on the green. It was that close. And the shots I saw coming in there, it was. Um, I remember Ogilvy made his fifth birdie in a row to be in the lead at 10 under with five others, with Scotty and Day and all that at the time. Bo Van Pelt. Then Adam Scott come in, nearly holding one. It was, you know, it was just an amazing experience to sit behind that green and watch those shots and and know how the ball and and the anticipation of the ball feeding back down to the down to that flag, which it does. Um, later on, I remember Jeff saying it was Jeff Ogilvy saying it was probably the easiest pin position to access um, on that green. And you see how exciting it is when the ball starts rolling towards a hole. And we do see a lot of holes in one, not a lot. We do see a handful of holes in one on that hole. So, but from a spectator's point of view, back of the twelfth. And back of the 16th were just gold. They were amazing spots. And uh, I'll always remember my spot at the back there among all the Americans and the lone Australian with three Australians at the top of the leaderboard. It was uh, a really special moment and, you know, just added to my Augusta and Masters experience. Jamie, anything else from you, mate, uh, just in closing before we wrap it up? Oh, look, a very, probably a very, very quick story. And, uh, Faz, I could just imagine the excitement with the, with the Aussies up at the leaderboard, that would have been just phenomenal. So um, my master's experience, 
nearly ended before midday on the Monday. Um, as a caddy, you're instructed to not hit a ball, don't you know, don't do anything, don't have a pull on the green, nothing, don't touch a court, you know, all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, you, you get kicked out of the premises. So we get to 12 on the first day. Um, we're playing as a one ball just by ourselves and the, and the bride goes up to skim the ball, uh, sorry, 16, along the water on 16, uh, skim a ball across the, the, the water there. And so he does that and some guy in the crowd decides to yell out, you're next caddy. So I said <laughs> to Bryden, I can't do that. So I'll put the club back in the bag. We start to walk and I'm getting booed by like 5,000 people. So Bryden turns to me and says, You've got to do it. And I'm like, if I do this, I'm, I'm, I'm getting kicked out. And then I looked at him and I'm like, well, what a cool way to go. <laughs> so I pull his six iron out. I stand over right-handed. Then I flip it over left-handed. And then the crowd go berserk. And um, so I hit this shot left-handed with the back of his six iron and uh, fell up 10 yards short but got applause that was just deafening. And uh, I kept my job, luckily. The uh, caddy master had a, had a word to me when I came into the uh, caddy shack afterwards. But, what yeah, did, it was uh, What did he phenomenal. say? What was the, what was that word? Well, the word was that we were the first people through on 16 and the crowd were getting a little bit restless. So basically what happened was that's why he, you know, the, the, the crowd were doing what they're doing and yelling at me to have a shot. And he basically said, thank you for bringing some entertainment to them when they were getting so agitated that no one had come through for hours upon hours. So um, he said, but then he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, but don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was pretty cool well gents great stories great catching up with you both uh at home you're actually quite close to each other but uh quite separate uh, out there in the southeastern suburbs we are close yeah we you're are right cl- probably a probably a driver driver seven iron for me yeah very good well have a safe uh easter stay at home yeah, yourself stay at home everybody else Thanks for tuning in to the My Love of Golf podcast. Roscoe and Rocket Masters, no Masters app. That just means that we can bring you a Masters app in November. Maybe we can get you guys back on. That'd be great. For sure. Love it. Excellent work. Well, stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time on the My Love of Golf podcast.